It's baby crazy. Today, we're talking about paternity leave. Jerry Camarado was the first male teacher in the history of the New York City Board of Education to be granted paternity leave. Paternity leave is common around the world, but still not so much in the U.S. In the 1970s, Jerry's move blazed a trail for men. There were no human resources mechanisms in place, no procedures, and Jerry's four-year leave was unpaid. I talked with Jerry about why he did it, what he learned, and what other men can get out of gaining more valuable time with their infant children. We'll also talk about the reissue of Jerry's book, The Fun Book of Fatherhood, A Paternity Leave Dad, Tale of a Pioneer, originally published in 1974. Here's my conversation with Jerry Camerata. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Lee. Great to be here. You attempted to sue the New York City Board of Education for the right to take paternity leave from your teaching job. Now, when exactly did you do that and why? Well, this happened in the early 70s, and interestingly, it was kind of a colliding of a number of different things. In the Congress, there was a congressman by the name of Gary Ackerman who was working with the Federal Equal Employment Opportunities Commission and looking at the lack of gender equality when it came to maternity leave versus paternity leave. The Federal Equal Opportunity looked at that issue, changed their policy, and for every company throughout the United States that had 50 employees or more, paternity leaves had to be granted. When you look at that, and then alongside of it, you look at the history of suffrage, you look at the history of the feminist movement, you looked at the gender equality that was happening in our businesses, and then you take that and you put it next to the fact that one morning, I got up, my daughter was in the room, and she says, Daddy, 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 when you come home from work, please bring me a rat. I said, why would I want to bring you a rat? She says, well, you're always going to the rat race, so it'd be a great opportunity for me to see a rat. And it, it took some time for me to ponder all of that, but with this convergence of everything that was happening, I said to myself, why am I not spending more time with my family when There is now a government policy that allows that. There's nobody doing it. And there are women out there who are really looking for an opportunity to have men that are responsive to the common need of really what is taking place in the home. And it was because of that I went to the New York City Board of Education and I said – I want a paternity leave, or I will sue for one based upon the new EEOC in Washington. And from that, it was a unanimous decision on the part of the board. And because of that, that became the first paternity leave in the entire country. This was an unpaid four-year leave. Why were you willing to take an unpaid leave? Well, that just happened to be the policy of the New York City Board of Education. Mm. Women got four years off, and they were giving men their four years off. It took a tremendous sacrifice when I did it. One was the sacrifice of the insult that I had from not only my family members, but from my colleagues at college, from the people in the neighborhood thinking that I was crazy. Mm. I was absconding from my duties as a parent, and how dare I not support my family. But I sat down with the family, and we got through all of that. And what we decided to do was to sell our home, move in with the in-laws, share all responsibility in the house. And fortunately, I was a licensed speech-language pathologist as well as an audiologist. So I was able to work part-time, not only in the clinical setting, but also in the academic setting, teaching. So when the children were sleeping, I would be able to do something. When the children were up, around, and they needed my wife and I 
together parenting, I was available. So we found a niche in order to get that accomplished. Today, a niche like that is not particularly able to be accomplished because of the way we have our work structure. And there lies one of the big problems that we have to deal with in trying to look at greater equality as we move toward not only paternity leave, maternity leave, but rather the new, bigger picture, family leave. I want to get into that, all of that in a moment. I just want to be sure here, this is amazing. You changed quite a lot. You sold the house. You obviously changed your work situation quite a bit. And you took some flack. But were people concerned that as the quote-unquote sole provider, what was their argument for giving you pushback on this? Well, I think most of it was was sociological. Mm. I think as far as provisions, when you have an extended family, I think we're all somewhat protected to a degree that you know there will be others around you to support a conviction. But when you look at the sociological perspective, and that is you're not abiding by the society's principle that the man provides and the woman stays home. Mm -hmm. That was the significant barrier that still exists today because we haven't been able to move too far from the center in that idea. That was really the big part to overcome. And in the very beginning, the first couple of years, I took a tremendous amount of flack. But when you believe in something, when you see something that is real, when you begin to understand that if you're going to be a good parent, you really need to be there. And today, the data actually shows that children are healthier, morbidity is less, children don't gain as much weight, there's more exercise going on. When both parents are present in the household, there's a greater opportunity for the number of children to expand. We are decreasing in our society right now. We've gone from 3.7 in the 60s now to 3.14 children in the family. And that's not good. I mean, that affects our economy. It affects the health of our country. And it does not say something very good about who we are. On an intuitive basis, it's pretty clear that if both parents are around, your kid is going to get a more well-rounded view of the world. They see what moms do. They see what dads do. And they see that we're working together to raise this kid. In your book, you talk about Gloria Steinem, Shirley Chisholm, and other women who fought for equal pay and equal rights for women. How did their work influence you? Basically, what they were showing is that whatever a man can do, a woman can do. And I think it's fair play, particularly today, to say that that's absolutely true. And for us to deny it, but to stay in a culturally narrow definition of the role of the man and the woman, I think is not appropriate for the times, nor was it appropriate for those times to have that kind of attitude. What they did, they worked hard at trying to do. But think of the following, Lee, and this is what's really very, very puzzling. You had the EEOC and my first historic paternity leave in the 70s. From that, President Carter appointed me along with Coretta Scott King and a number of other people to the White House Conference on Families, where there was a major conference in trying to look at the new emerging family in America. From that, we had the Clintons and we had FMLA. Let me ask you one thing. FMLA, can you expand on that? What is that? 
That's a Family Medical Leave Act. Oh, okay. That was rather extraordinary to have because it not only meant that if they were child-rearing needs, but they were all extended family opportunities. And they're out there. But when you look at only 7% of our companies today having employees taking leaves, when you look at only about 24% of people in journalism taking leaves, and you see these numbers are so poor, you realize that we've got a problem. We've got titles and we've got policy, but we are not doing anything to stimulate the utilization of this. And today, here we are talking about paid family leave, doing nothing about changing the psychosocial influence about gender equality, really changing it from a gender equality perspective. We have an industrial revolution phenomenon that is moving our country more and more into the attitude that the business is more important than the family. And nothing has really been done in 45 years. And when are we going to wake up and finally realize that America is only going to be great Not when our businesses are going to be great, but when our family is going to be great because those companies today like Google, Netflix, Yahoo, where they understand intellectual property is so important to their dignity and to their financial well-being, they're giving extraordinary leaves to their young parents because they realize that the families really make up their corporations, make up their intellectual growth. And because of that, they have great prosperity with the people that are there. We need to see other companies adopting that. But today, we have to understand it's not going to happen until we can tie this all up in federal legislation, looking at how we're going to finance it, look at how we're going to begin to teach parenting, bringing parenting education back into our schools so that we can allow our young people to see that whatever a man can do, a woman can do. And when two parents are there sharing the responsibility of parenting, the role modeling sets these children up to be anything that they want to be in the future. So many factors here, complex issue. Let's delve into Twitter, Facebook, all the big tech companies who are offering family leave like Netflix. One of the reasons they're doing that, I believe, is because of competition. To attract and retain employees at those companies, it's really hard. There's a lot of competition to work there, but they're only taking a very select class of highly educated people who are very well paid. So to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, these companies are doing that There's an altruistic motive to an extent. There's a family motive to an extent. But it's also because they realize in order to be competitive in that competitive tech market, they have to do that. It becomes part of the package. What you're saying is correct. And what's sad about it is it's correct. (laughs) It's really for the wrong reasons in terms of competitiveness, but I will defend what I did say before, that since these are intellectual property companies, they do understand the psychosocial value of allowing their employees or wanting to have their employees to be well satisfied as individuals in being able to take care of their own needs. The problem is when we attack these problems by definition as it relates to the corporate language, 
that's when we, I believe, do it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. We should not be doing it because we're in a competitive market. We should be doing it because all employees deserve it, and this should not be part of the competitive clause necessity of doing something. And they're only doing it, and they are doing it, by the way, outside of government regulations because it's effective for their pocketbook. Right. And until we can have government jump into this, and I believe right now we absolutely need it. We're at a crucial state in our society where we really need a new White House conference on families. All true. And who's going to get behind that? What happens, I think, in, say, tech companies is that there's a bottom-up demand. The employee or the potential employee demands this, or it's part of the package. If you're talking about legislation, usually it seems to me that there's just one or two key players that get behind these legislative moments and push them through. Is there anyone who's on the horizon now who's thinking about this and doing anything about it? Everybody is talking about it because it's the nice thing to talk about. But nobody is creating, for example, a family contribution fund that's realistic in terms of how we may use tax credits, how we may use 401 accounts or pre-money accounts, how we're going to use a payroll tax, how we were going to use income tax credits. Until we can get a handle around all of that and mold an approach where it is equitable for the parent, because I think a parent should have a stake in all of this, equitable for the company, the state, and the federal government, it's really never going to work. I don't think anybody has embraced it in terms of a solution. They've embraced it for the rhetoric, and we need to go beyond rhetoric right now. Absolutely. I don't think we're going to get to solve this one today, but let's talk about something we might be able to solve, which is gender balance, gender equity, how it works in the family. You have been quoted by saying sometimes fathers make the best mothers. And I'm taking that to mean that there are certain things that fathers can do that are nurturing and mothering, and they could be really good at it. The thing is, with us dads, we don't know. There's no instruction book. There's no model, really. We could look to our own fathers, and that's another generation, not the same thing. How do we provide even the beginnings of a roadmap for who might do what or who might be good at what? Or as a dad, what should I be raising my hand and saying, I can do this? That's probably one of the best questions that could be offered, Lee. And I say that from the perspective because I don't believe teaching is the way we're going to learn how to be good parents. I believe learning is the way we will become better parents. And I differentiate that from the perspective that mom and dad often learn from each other. And what may be instinctive for one parent may not necessarily be instinctive for another parent, but the love, the family unity, and the growth comes from the fact that they are sharing their competencies, they're sharing their knowledge, and in the process, the child is beginning to see that whatever dad does, mom does. I happen to like to use the animals, and one of the strong points in my book, The Fun Book of Fatherhood, is to use animals as the examples. And you certainly, particularly now on television with Discovery, you can see a lot of parenting things that are going on that moms are looking at, dads are looking at. 
You see the seahorse, for example, that takes the little seahorse and has it in its pouch, and that's the male seahorse, and the male seahorse is there all of the time. I mean, that sends a little message to children in terms of, I can cuddle with daddy. I can be with daddy. Daddy is my protector as mommy is my protector. And for daddy to see, it's nice to be more involved with taking care of the children. It really gets you thinking out of the box a little bit. We are so role-bound in some ways. You know, mom does this, dad does that. And I wanted to pick up on a phrase you brought up a moment ago, sharing competencies. I think that's fascinating because that could really help. A kid could see, a child could see, hey, you know, dad's pretty good at cooking and mom's pretty good at fixing things. Dad can protect me. Mom can protect me. And look how awful daddy is when he cooks. (laughs) Mom, please don't let daddy cook. That's okay, sweetheart. Daddy is learning. Exactly. And a month from now, daddy is making dinner. That is the learning curve. That's the student who brings home the failure in spelling, and you work with the child, and mom is working, and dad is working, and a month later, the child nails it. It's the learning that takes place, and for all children to realize, well, I can't do it now, but you know, daddy couldn't cook now either, and he became a cook, so there's no reason why I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And on top of that, there's something that often we don't talk about, and that's the role modeling that goes on that we see with animals, but we see even more extraordinarily with human beings, and that is by having mom and dad at home and the children observing the conversation. They're observing the environment in which that conversation is going on. They're observing the give and take, the compromise If they were able to see more of that from their parents, they would learn that things like bullying absolutely is not necessary to get your way in this world. And that just being one of many, many abnormal psychological behaviors that are out there. The suicide rate is up with our youngsters. Some of it because of drugs. Some of it is because they don't have the capacity to really deal with the difficulties that they're experiencing. They don't have an end. But if they can hear mom and dad in the home, if our economic system allowed the mom and dad to be home so that it could be observed, they would see how parents work through their problems. There is an end to problems. There are solutions to problems. You've said, and I'm quoting you, it's vital that parents wake up to the reality that schools are not the primary instructional vehicles. Parents are. Yeah. And I say that, interestingly, having been a member of the Central Board of Education of New York City, which is a story unto itself, the same board of education that unanimously gave me a paternity leave. Two decades later, I went back to run, hiring the chancellors here, etc. So a little peculiar moment in life. But unfortunately, we're all relying on the school to teach the children. And you often hear parents saying to the teacher, well, you're the teacher. You give it to them. Not my responsibility when real teaching, real education does happen to have in the home. The school is the augmentation. When we went to the Industrial Revolution several hundreds of years ago, we turned over the responsibility of apprentice to journeyman to master to the school. When we did that, we turned over a responsibility that we had no right to abdicate. 
Our job is to always see ourselves as the primary educators. And even in college, when our students graduate, it's interesting that the colleges don't say to the students when they are graduating, even in the commencement speech, you are now being given your degree and you have now become the teacher of the world. And that's what education is all about, that we take our knowledge and we understand our responsibility to be the primary educator. I'm a primary proponent of keeping schools open through 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, having the parents come in either after school with their child or parents sitting in school during the day and learning along with the children. In some instances, that is very, very powerful. And it's amazing how children appreciate the parents when they can see the parents learning alongside of them. The modeling aspect of this is so important. Modeling by parents at home. It sounds obvious, but if the parents are talkers, and they're not fighting, but they're talking and having conversation— The kids are going to be talkers and maybe not fighters and have conversations. If they see their parents reading and learning, the kid says, hmm, maybe I should be doing that or I could be doing that. Or look, mommy and daddy are doing it. It is just very powerful to set a model, to be aware of the modeling influence you have, not so much in what you're saying, but in what you're doing and just your being, who you are. And what happens often with broadcasts like this, Lee, as much as we're trying to provide information, sometimes it seems to be stereotypic. Well, this really doesn't relate to me. But I think everything that we've said today, if it was taken to heart by parents, if they read the fun book of fatherhood and many, many other books that are out there on parenting, not to show that they don't have capacity. This is something new, but to begin to realize how much they really do know and what they could offer. I think that these broadcasts would mean so much to our families out there. Now, I look at the Latino women here in this country. Only 2% of them have jobs in math, science, engineering, and technology, and that really hurts. And only 24% of women have these kinds of jobs in the United States. Those numbers don't speak very well to who we are and what we've done to our female children in terms of what they need to support their ability. There are 196 countries on this earth, and we're one of about four that don't have a national family leave policy. Let's say there's a dad listening to this and thinking, hmm, you know, these guys are not nuts. There's some value. They're kind of convincing me that there's value to being part of your kid's early life. So if we were going to suggest to that dad who's thinking about it, you know, it seems like we're not crazy. What would be the first step that that dad might take toward sharing part of the kid's early life, moving towards some gender equality at home? When one gets home, it's really spending some time with the child and spending time with the child at the child's level. Not what we want to do, but what does the child want to do and have that level of interaction. There is no formality here about this only applying to a man and a woman as a mother and a father. We're talking about loving parents in a society that want to bring up a child in their image 
to their satisfaction that everything that they could possibly give them is there. So I think one, playtime becomes very important. Using the zoo, using TV, using national public television as a way of getting intimate with what's happening on our planet and then having a conversation about all of that is important. Talking to the HR department in the company about what the HR policy is on family leave and the eligibility that may be for them. Talking to their local representatives, to their congressmen, to their senator, getting involved in politics, making the issue a part of their life and bringing people around them that can speak to the issue. All of those things are very good. And when your listeners are able to read the Fun Book of Fatherhood in the back, I give them a letter that they can actually send to their elected officials, making this a priority of theirs and asking the elected officials for it to become a priority of their legislative agenda. Really becomes just so infinitely, infinitely important. One in four women return to work in two weeks. Now, when you think about that, The unacceptability of a woman returning to work in two weeks and the policy at the company may be for a much longer time is fear. And the fear is that they will lose their job, that they will lose their position, that they will lose their presence in the company because the psychosocial labeling of them being on maternity leave and not being responsible to their company is so strong. And that's what we have to have expunged from our behavior, from our attitude, from our definition about what it is to be loyal to a company, but for the company to realize that they must, first and foremost, be loyal to their family. It can be a hard thing for a company to get. It can be a hard thing for even families to get. You've been at this fatherhood thing for a while. There have been some changes in the way that we see ourselves as fathers, but maybe not so much has changed as well. What do you think still needs to change about the father image? And if you want to go into it too, the mother image, our self-image, you know, the way we connect with ourselves as parents. I think our cultures, whatever that culture may be, certainly shows division and that there is a place for the mother at the home and the place for the father at work. Unless that conversation begins to take place, particularly with the educated children that are coming through our system of high school, of college, until that changes, there really is not going to be that much of a difference. And it's interesting that with all of the education that is taking place, with all of the students that are graduating college, there does seem to be a return to the stereotypic kind of household, mom is home and dad is at Mm -hmm. work. Even when we are seeing an influx of women in business today taking on tremendous responsibilities at the CEO level and at the workstation level. We are still seeing that when you get home, it's the mother in the kitchen, kind of the stereotypic mother in the kitchen and the dad waiting for things to be prepared. There takes a tremendous mindset, and I don't think that's going to happen until in our cultures we can begin to have that conversation and for everybody to say, hey, guys, let's wake up. There really isn't something called mom's job and dad's job. The job belongs to us. It's called parenting. And as we share it, there can be much more enjoyment. A lot of these changes, it seems to me, legislation would be great. 
company policy would be great. But it really seems that the parents, us, asking for these things would turn the companies in that direction. The fact that it's the right thing to do is probably not going to be the biggest factor for a bottom line oriented company. Yep, I I agree. They do come from bottom up. And when you ask for it, you can get it. Sometimes a company is only too happy to do it if they feel that there's a need for it to occur. And I think just as what happened in those beginning years when there was the confluence between my daughter's rat race, between the feminist movement and between legislation, I think that's the way it's going to change right Right now in terms of this redefinition of gender neutrality in our society. And it's going to be a confluence. It's going to be exactly what you said, Lee, and that is parents beginning to become educated, understanding the system and wanting things from their employer. There's going to be employers that are going to say, you know, we want to do more for the family. We recognize that now and we want to support. And there's going to be legislation on the state and federal level that says we want to become partners in the process. And that confluence, I think, is going to make the difference. Yeah, I think if companies want to be around more than a flash in the pan, they want to be 100-year companies that last, they're going to have to do this to retain people and to remain relevant. Yes, I totally agree with you. Parenting is really very complex, but we should always remember as parents that the complexity requires a network around us in order to achieve success. That no mom, no dad, or no parents, no loving adults that want to raise children can do it alone. We need to be proactive. We need to be there to support our children. We need to be there to support other children. We need to be involved in the political process. But when we find ourselves part of a network working toward making life better for our family, our family will, in fact, prosper. At the end of the day, that's why we're parents on earth. We want our children always to do better than we've done, have better opportunities than we have. And it's through them seeing our frailty, them seeing our vulnerability, them seeing our struggle, them seeing the way we're able to cope with knowledge and use that knowledge to improve ourselves and then to give them the opportunity. That's what parenting is really all about. That's what family is all about. And if we're able to achieve that, as I discuss in the book, I just think we're going to have a great society in the future and we will turn life around and I think better decisions from our children will take place in making our world better. Can't do it alone. That's the key. Jerry's book, The Fun Book of Fatherhood, A Paternity Leave Dad, Tale of a Pioneer. It's on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Jerry, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Lee. It's my pleasure. Look for show notes about this episode at goingbabycrazy.live. I will also post a transcript of the show and some key takeaways right there online. So check out goingbabycrazy.live.live. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Simplecast, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. A lot of people get the show on Apple Podcasts, and if that's you, don't forget to rate us and post a comment. When you do that, it helps us reach more listeners. And I'd love to hear from you directly. The listener feedback line is 424-254-1634. That's 424-254-1634. Just dial that up and leave your comments about the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Lee Schneider.
Hey, it's Lee Schneider, a co-founder of the FutureX Podcast Network. Have you heard of Good Pods yet? It's a new app where you can follow your friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time scrolling around, trying to figure out where is that great new show, this will solve your problems. Just download Good Pods from the App Store, pick some people to follow, and invite your friends. And you'll never be without a podcast recommendation again.